We're turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We'll continue, of course, our study of the gospel of Matthew. Matthew presents Jesus as the king of the Jews, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And, of course, we're going verse by verse, passage by passage through this, the great gospel. And we're seeing Jesus teaching. He's, he's basically got his men up on the side of a hill, and he's got the 12 apostles, and he's teaching them, and a big crowd has come. This long discourse is often called the Sermon on the Mount. We've seen so much. In fact, we, we saw a first part about how the religious leaders uh, said one thing, and Jesus said, well, they say this, you've heard this, but we go on to something else. And then the second section, beginning in chapter 6, he's actually talking about the motivation, the motivation for doing good things and doing good deeds. And the bottom line is, do we do what we do to be seen by others or to please our God and Savior? We see Jesus is talking about this. In fact, if you look at chapter 6 of Matthew and verse 1, he says this, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So he says, don't do your righteousness so everybody can see you. I'm not even going to say the names, but there were some guys up here like at 5 and 5.15 and 5.30 getting this whole outside ready just for everybody. But if I said their names, then they, they wouldn't get their reward, so I don't want them to, to miss out on anything. But the truth is, they're guys, they're people who do things and they... They don't want people to even know they did them. And then there are people who do things for the wrong reasons. And we saw in this passage that the Pharisees, when they gave, they blew a trumpet so everybody could see and they were giving. And when they prayed, they stood out in front of everybody and prayed. And we're going to see some other things as we go through this. And and so uh, Jesus has now moved from the giving to the subject of prayer. And we saw last week, he talked about when you pray, you don't have to pray where everybody can see you. It's okay to pray in public. But he says, but if you're praying to be seen, you don't have... You've already got your reward. This time he moves, and we see a very famous passage. It's called the, the, you know, the Lord's Prayer. It's actually the disciples' prayer because Jesus couldn't pray it because it talks about temptation and sin and confessing sin. Jesus never sinned. So he gave this as a pattern. We call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's really the disciples' prayer, or it's really the believer's prayer. We could put it that way. As we begin, I want to raise some questions. What is prayer? And then how, how do we pray? And we see this pattern from, this, from, the, from the Lord's Prayer. And then how does forgiveness fit in our prayers? And you may say, what, what does that have to do with anything? Well, we'll see it as we go through it. So how do you respond when somebody does you wrong? And when I say does you wrong, that, I don't mean they just sort of did you wrong. They on purpose did you wrong. And you say, well, that person did that on on purpose. And naturally, you think inside of us, we go, that's not fair. And they, you know, we need to get them back. But we already know from the scripture that we don't get people back. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. And so we're to to let God deal with them. So what do we really do when people do us wrong? Well, Ephesians 4.32, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving others, forgiving one another as God has forgiven us. We, what we do is remember that, that everything we've ever done wrong, God forgives us through Jesus Christ. And so when somebody does us wrong, we need to forgive them in that same way. We hear people say something like this. Well, I may, I may forgive, but I'm never going to forget. What does that mean? You know, what does that mean? How does it fit? What about forgiveness? What exactly is forgiveness? Now, we know something, that if we don't forgive others, God will not forgive us. And we're not talking about eternal life salvation. I'll talk to you more about it as we go through the passage. Uh, but we'll see this. He's talking about our fellowship with God and fellowship with others. Let me remind you of our study. It's kind of hard to read, but I just wanted you to see that at the start, that was what they call the Beatitudes, where he talked about us. And then he said that Jesus is the one that fulfills everything. And then we saw the improper view of the law, how the 
the Pharisees looked at murder and adultery and divorce and all those things. And Jesus said, you've heard it said this, but I say to you. We're now in the Pharisees, how they practiced. And we saw they practiced giving by blowing a trumpet. They practiced praying by standing out in front of everybody. They practiced fasting by looking like they were just about to die. You know, and so we're going to see all this. And what Jesus says is, listen, when you give, you don't have to give where everybody sees it. And if you pray, you don't have to pray where everybody sees you. And if you fast, you don't have to pray fast where everybody sees you and, and those kind of things. And so the religious leaders um, basically wanted to be seen by men. Jesus said, what you want to do is be seen by God. Chapter 6, verse 1, don't practice your righteousness before people to be seen by them, whether it's your giving or your praying. And so this is where he is. And so we just finished last week with him talking about the idea of praying. And, and he said something right at the end. But let me just show you there. Remember we said prayer is just simply talking to God. That's, that's what it is. And so at the end he said this. He said basically when you pray, get by yourself and pray. And then he said in verse 7, 7 and 8, he said, And when you're praying, don't use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. You don't have to be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. The word meaningless repetition, he doesn't mean you don't pray for the same thing. Like you say, oh Lord, would you please work this out? And would you, He's meaning that you just say the same word over and over and over again, or somehow you think by saying some mantra or something that that's going to make God listen more. I told you last week that I, uh, I knew a person that told me they, they were in another part of the world, and people would take a prayer request, put it on a piece of paper, tie a string around it, and then they would spring it around their head, and they thought that every time it went around their head, that was a prayer going up to God. That's sort of meaning repetition. The Greek word for meaningless repetition is the word babble. So he's saying, listen, make your request known, but you don't have to keep saying the same thing over and over thinking that's going to make him hear you because he says your father already knows. He already knows what we need even before we ask. Now think about that. He wants you to talk to him because prayer is not just for you to ask God for something because he already knows what you want. He already knows what you need. Prayer is for us to maintain our fellowship with God and to talk with him. Now, as we continue, he, he turns to how to pray. Because there's another place where, he, where they actually ask him how to pray, and he teaches them this. And then here, he's on the sermon, what we call Sermon on the Mount. He actually says, listen, if you're going to pray then, pray in this way. And he gives it to them. Now, we saw last week, we talked about what is prayer, and we talked about the different kind of prayers in the Bible. And we said there's a prayer in which the Greek word for prayer means actually to worship. It means to put your face on the ground. It's where you come to God and you say, God, you are you're God. You're everything. You're almighty. You're That's worship prayer. Then there's a petition where you ask for something, and you ask for something for yourself. And you could say, oh, Lord, please let me get home safely. And then you can pray intercession. You could say, oh, Lord, please let all my friends get home safely. That's intercession. And you can pray confession where you have sin in your life, and you deal with it. And then then there's thanksgiving. So those, all of those aspects are prayer. What we may not realize, and we studied this when we went through prayer in our study on grow groups, that all five of those are in the sermon, in the Lord's Prayer. When God said, when Jesus said, if you're going to pray, pray in this way, he gives us a pattern and all five, worship, petition, intercession, confession, and thanksgiving are all in this Prayer. So let's see the prayer. You've got it actually on the back, on your bulletin. He's got sort of a list of how it fits together. But he starts off with the very. He says, "So if you're going to pray, then pray in this way." And it starts off with worship, worship to the Father. Look at verses nine and ten. He says, "Pray in this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is 
in heaven. Now let me tell you, that is such a familiar prayer that every one of us, probably any one of us in this room could stand up and say, oh, I can do the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be. You could do it, right? When I coached in high school, and I only coached one year in high school before I got to go to Mississippi State, but I remember, uh, I've told you all this story, that our football team would get together, and we had a young guy, he was in the ninth grade, but he's on our football team, and we called him preacher because he wanted to be a preacher. And so he would always lead the team in the Lord's Prayer before we went out to a football game. And he'd go, our Father, they are our Father, are in heaven, are in heaven, I'll be thy name, I'll be, that's how they did it. You know, and I thought, does anybody even listen to what we're saying? I mean, they just know it. And so even when I read this now, you could say, oh, I know that. I mean, our Father, who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be. What does it all mean? He starts off with worship. When you approach God, a good way to start is worship. And say, Lord, you are God. Notice what he says. Our Father, who are in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, he, he actually, when he says pray in this way, he actually says, this is a pattern for you, and the Greek literally says, keep on praying this way. Keep on praying in this way. And what he does is he gives us his person and his plan. The person in this first part about worship is his person and his plan. His person is who? He's our heavenly father. He's our heavenly, notice what he says, our father who are in heaven. He's our, he's our heavenly father. We know that the moment you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, you become a child of God. As many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in His name. Now, I've heard people say things like, all people are God's children. No, all people are God's creation, but not all people are God's children. Only those who believe in Jesus Christ are born into the family of God. We can approach God and we can call Him Father. And notice Jesus says, say, our Father, which are in heaven. He created all things. He, he, we can say, we can call him Abba, which means daddy. Now, for a Jewish person, when Jesus said this, our fathers are in heaven, and sometimes he said, he used the word Abba, A-B-B-A, it meant daddy. For a Jewish person, they wouldn't even say God's name. They wouldn't even say the name Y-H-W-H, which we call Yahweh. We, we don't even know if that's the way to pronounce it, but it's Y-H-W-H in Hebrew. They, we, they wouldn't even say that name. And so for, God, for Jesus to say, just call him daddy. That, that was amazing. Our father. And notice where he lives who are in heaven. It's a heaven, heavenly father. He's exalted above all things. The idea of being in heaven is, is the fact that uh, he's exalted above all the creation. He is everything. And our heavenly father is in the heavenlies. And where, by the way, where is our home? Our home is not here. Where is it? Our home is in the heavenly places with him. In fact, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, you are seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we're praying to our heavenly Father. And then he says, hallowed be thy name. The word hallowed means set apart. It has that idea of holiness and set apart. He says, your name is above every name. We always say, Jesus, the name above all names, the name above every name. And he says that every, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall praise God at the name of Jesus. And he says, the Father, your, your name is hallowed, it is set apart. Let me, let me tell you how it's set apart. It's set apart in the fact that there's nothing like him. He is the creator of all things. Everything else is the creation. God is set apart from his creation. I've heard people say things like, he's the wind. And I said, no, he's not the wind. He created the wind. He's the air that we breathe. No, he's not the air that we breathe. He created the air that we breathe. God, that's pantheism. Pantheism is saying God is in the creation. No, 
God created the creation. He's separate from his creation. He's apart from creation. We also, when you say, hallowed be his name, we recognize that he is sinless. He is holy. We revere him. We say, you are the holy, perfect, heavenly Father who rules over all things. That's who he is. So our Father, who are in heaven, set apart is your name. And then he gives the plan. There's the plan. Your kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, the plan is one day Jesus Christ rules as the king. See, it started off this way. God made a heavens and an earth, and he put a man named Adam and Eve, and he put the, Adam and Eve, and he put them on the garden, in the garden, and he said, I want you to rule this world. You're going to be the king of the world. You, you, you're going to have subjugate the world, be fruitful and multiply. You're going to control. And then Adam sinned. And now the God of this age is Satan. But one day, Jesus Christ is coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's why it says, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's going to come a time when Jesus Christ will come as the king and rule. He'll, 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 he'll be the last Adam. The first Adam failed. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, will sit on the throne and rule in righteousness and justice. Revelation chapters 19 and 20 gives that. Psalm 2 talks about that. If you remember this chart that we always have, here's where Jesus died and rose again. He's back ascended into heaven. We're at the church age. One of these days, Jesus is going to come in the clouds. We're going to be gone. There'll be a time on the earth called the tribulation. He will come back to the earth. We'll come back with him. And then he will rule for a thousand years on this earth as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And when he says, thy kingdom come, it's come. That will be done on earth as in heaven. When he comes as the king, it will be. Right now, it's not being done. There's a whole bunch of bad stuff going on in this world. But when the king of kings comes and the Lord of lords comes and he sets up his kingdom in Jerusalem and he rules for a thousand years on this earth, then there's a great white throne judgment and then there's an eternal, there's a new heaven, a new earth, and he rules for all eternity as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so in our prayer, we could pray, Lord, when we, we, we're looking forward to the kingdom. We're looking forward to the time in which Jesus Christ comes as the king. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be a lot better world if Jesus is the king? Well, how do you feel about that? Do you think it'd be better? Be the greatest world of all, and it's going to happen one day. And so when you pray, you say, our heavenly father, you are holy. You are set apart. We're praying, Lord, that one day this kingdom will come on this earth. And so the things, your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And from there, he then moves a little further, and we get three things. We get petition and intercession and confession. And remember, petition is where, where we lift a request for ourselves and intercession where we pray for somebody else. And in confession is where we deal with sin. Well, in verse 11, when he talks about giving us our daily bread, this is both petition and intercession. Uh, by the way, he says, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on asking for the daily bread. This is petition and intercession. Notice what he says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, he's basically saying, provide what we need. And he's not only talking about themselves, petition, but he's talking about intercession as well. And we can lift that request up. And in, in their culture, they didn't have what we have. If you said, I'm hungry, you say, what do we got in the refrigerator? What do we got in the refrigerator? Refrigerator. Or, or the, you know, the freezer. What's back there? We got stuff stored up. And they didn't have stuff stored up. They couldn't store anything. You worked, and at the end of the day, you went and bought food at the end of the day, the markets. Sometimes you were, you, the, the, your wife or somebody had already bought the food earlier, and then and, and they spent your money. You came home, you got paid, you gave her the money, and while you went to work the next day, she used that money and go buy the food to come back. They didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have a way to store anything. And so they actually said, Lord, take care of us every day. 
And that's how we should look at it because he'll provide every need that we have. And the truth is, even though we got all these conveniences, we need him every day to take care of us and protect us. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. In First Chronicles 29.14, it says, Lord, from you all things come. Everything. I read this story. I don't know if it's accurate. I read this story. It may be true. It was in, in, in Europe after World War II. Everything was a mess. And uh, th- this woman went to a grocery store, but she had no money and three children. And her husband had been killed in the war. And so she comes in there, and she goes to the grocer, and she says, uh, all I have is a prayer. And he laughed at her. And he, he was not a believer, and he laughed at her and said, I tell you what, okay, put, you got your prayer, there's your prayer, put it on the scales and see how much it weighs, and I'll give you food equal to whatever it is. So she took the note and laid it on there, and he started putting things on there, and it wouldn't go down. And he finally it filled up a whole thing, and he, he said, never seen anything like that. So she got food and walked out, and he realized his scales were broken, but he didn't know that. And so he, she got a whole bunch of things, and she had lifted up her prayer request. We can, we can ask him for anything, anytime, place, anywhere. I know we've been doing a study in Grow Group, and we know that you can have unanswered prayers or wait prayers or no prayers and yes prayers, but we've, we're to bring our request to him. And he says, look, give us this day our daily bread. That's prayer and petition, Philippians 4.19. Then he goes to confession. Now, this is, and when I say goes to confession, he leads the part in which we confess our sins. Notice in verse 12, and forgive us our debts our sins, as we also have forgiven our debtors, as we forgive those people who mess up against us. Forgive us our debts. We sometimes don't think about that when we do something wrong and we're out of fellowship with God and we want to get back into fellowship with God and we have someone who's messed up with us and we haven't forgiven them and we're mad at them and we're not going to forgive them, we don't realize that that messes us up in our fellowship with God. We're to forgive others as we've been forgiven, we, want to be, we say, Lord, forgive us our debts as we have been forgiven. Ephesians 4.32, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God has forgiven us in Christ Jesus. We want to forgive others as we've been forgiven. And you may say, well, I thought forgiveness happened the moment you believe in Jesus Christ. When you believe in Jesus Christ, there's a positional forgiveness that's in your relationship. Every sin, past, present, and future has been forgiven the moment you trust in Jesus Christ, your Savior. And in your relationship with God, you have complete forgiveness. In your fellowship with God, that's experiential. Sometimes we sin and we're out of fellowship with God. And so we need forgiveness to get back into fellowship. And so there is a time that we confess our sins. But he says, when we, forg- when we ask God to forgive us, we want him to forgive us as we have forgiven those who uh, have sinned against us. And we're going to talk about it right at the end of the passage. Verses 14 and 15 are, are not usually considered part of the, the Lord's Prayer, but we're going to see that it deals with forgiveness. So we'll see that in a minute. The next thing that he deals with is protection. This is another, this is a, a petition. Protect us. And, and it's a little strange because he says, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The, the idea of temptation there is the word can mean evil or it can mean a trial or it could mean a test. And so it could be translated, Lord, don't let us get into some temptations. Oh, Lord, don't let us get into some trials. Don't let us get into some, temp- you know, some tempting somehow. We already know from James chapter 1 verse 13 that God never tempts anyone to do evil. 
So he's not saying, oh, Lord, don't bring evil into my life to make me sin. But there is an aspect that we could say to God, oh, Lord, please protect me. Don't let me get myself into something that's going to cause me to sin. Don't let me mess myself up. Don't let me be unwise. And, and, and I know that we're prone to sin. You know, just protect me and take care of me. You know, temptation is something. I read this quote. So many people want to be delivered from temptation but would like to keep in touch. I mean, you know, and, and that's the way we sometimes feel about it. Uh, Wilbur Chapman said this, anything that dims my vision of Christ or takes away my taste for Bible study is something I got to get away from. Now, this verse, listen to what it says. And do not lead us into temptation. Protect us that way, Lord. But deliver us from evil. And in the original Greek, it actually says, deliver us from the, the evil one. It's talking about the Satan, Satan and the, the spiritual battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. There is a spiritual battle going on. And we want God to protect us. And we know that we put on the armor of God and we stand near to him and we're going to be okay. And so part of this prayer is, Lord, please protect me and, and, and help me in the spiritual battle and uh, protect me from that evil one. And then so we've seen that he, he worships. And then we've seen that the petitions and intercessions. And we've seen the, 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 the whole idea of confession. And there's one last thing, and that's praise and thanksgiving. And they go together at the end, and look what he says. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Notice how he says this. He, he says, for yours is the kingdom, and he is the king of kings and the lord of lords. Listen, who is Jesus Christ? Who is the heavenly father? He's king of kings and lord of lords. He's going to rule in righteousness and justice. Jesus is going to come rule for the thousand years. He's going to rule for all eternity. It even talks about how Jesus is the king, but he gives the kingdom over to the father. I don't understand how that all fits in the scripture, but it's the idea that God rules the world forever. He is the king. And then notice what it says, for yours is the kingdom, yours is the power. He is all power. He is all powerful. He can do anything that he chooses to do. Now, he, he cannot violate his character, and he cannot violate his promises. When he makes a promise, he keeps it. He can't lie. When he, when he cannot violate his character, in other words, he can't sin. So if he says, can God do anything? God can do anything but whatever is contrary to his character. So God can't sin because that's contrary to his character. But he is all powerful. And so when we walk out these doors, we don't have to be afraid of anything. You've got the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you've got the most powerful being living in you. And then the third thing that he says is, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. He gets all the glory. One of the things I hope that we're, we're doing, and I, I try to remind you and I try to remind myself this, that when we come in here on Sunday mornings, we're not going to church. I mean, this isn't just like, oh, yeah, we're going to church. No, this is, we're coming to worship Jesus Christ. We're coming as people who belong to him, who have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior, and he has saved us, and he's placed us in him, and he's in us, and we got the Holy Spirit, and we got the Bible, and we got gifts, and we got each one of us, and we're coming together, not just to come and say, wonder what we're going to do today. We're coming to worship Jesus Christ, he gets all the glory and the honor and the praise. So think about that. When we come, prepare yourself to say, I'm coming to worship the living God. To him, all 
glory forever. And notice how it ends. And for, his, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And remember, amen doesn't mean the prayer is over. Amen means truth. It's a Hebrew word that was translated into to Greek and then was translated on into English. And it just means true. So when you get to the end of the prayer, you say, amen. And you're saying, this is true. So when you think about it, we say to God, you are the king. You are the heavenly father. You are set apart. One day your kingdom's going to come. Take care of us today. Forgive us. Don't let us get into something that's going to mess us up because you are the king and the power and the glory forever. It's true. It is so powerful. I read this uh, several years ago, and I just think it's so, so well done. I, I don't have who wrote this, but here's what they say. This disciple's prayer, that's what the person called it, this disciple's prayer must come from a committed heart. He says, we can't say our if we only live for ourselves. And we cannot say Father if we don't try to live like a child. And we can't say who aren't in heaven if I'm not laying up treasure there. We can't say hallowed be thy name if I'm not striving for holiness. We can't say thy kingdom come, thy will be done if I'm disobedient to the word. We can't say on earth as it is in heaven if I'm not serving him here. We can't say forgive us of our debts if I've got a harbor and a grudge against someone. We can't say don't lead us into temptation if I'm deliberately placing myself in its path. I cannot say deliver us from evil if I don't put on the full armor of God. I cannot say thus is the kingdom and the power if I don't give the king the loyalty. And I cannot ascribe to him all glory if I'm seeking honor for myself. And I cannot say forever if the horizon of my life is bounded by this time. That's a really good way to say it. The Lord's Prayer has all of these things in it. It has confession and intercession and requesting and thanking and worshiping. It's a pattern. And as we taught in the grow groups and we taught, spent a lot of time on looking at all the different ways we can pray, the Lord's Prayer actually puts all five of those together. We end with something, and I'm going to go quickly on this. We end with this, and, it's, and it's, it's hard. He says, if you forgive others for their transgressions, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, then your Heavenly Father will not forgive your transgressions. What is he talking about? We're not talking about eternal life or anything like that. We're talking about your fellowship. And if there's someone that's bothered you, so to speak, and they ask that they want your forgiveness, and if you don't forgive them, then your Heavenly Father's not going to forgive you. In other words, if you're out of fellowship with a fellow believer, you're going to be out of fellowship with God. And so we put this down. It says, this is forgiveness and fellowship. He says, if we forgive others their sins, God will forgive us. And we're not talking about, just remember, we're not talking about eternal life or anything like that. We're talking about our Christian life and our fellowship, our positional Forgiveness happened the moment we trusted in Jesus Christ. Our experiential forgiveness happens as we go through life. And if we, if we forgive daily, we're in fellowship and we have forgiveness. But notice verse 15, if we do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgression. Listen, if we don't forgive others, that's sin. We're out of fellowship. And if we're not in fellowship, there's no forgiveness. So all he's saying is this, if we want to be in fellowship with God, we've got to also be in fellowship with others. And if you've got somebody that you're crossways with and you're not forgiving and you don't want to forgive them and you say, I don't care anything about them, I don't care. Listen, you're going to be out of fellowship with your Heavenly Father. So he's saying you've got to deal with these things. And this is really, really 
hard. So we need to be in fellowship with others so we can be in fellowship with God. That's how he puts it in this passage. So what have we seen? We've seen that whatever we're doing, we're not doing it to, to, to please people. We're doing it to, to please God. And for prayer, there's this pattern that, that he gives us. And it's a pattern of worship and petition and intercession and confession and, and even praise and glory and, and, and all of those things. Uh, thanksgiving, that's all put in there. And, and so let me give you some applications to think about. Let's do our good deeds not to be seen by others, but to please God. It is easy. It is easy to do things um, so other people will see you. I think of the guys that showed up this morning. They, they got here and um, amazing what they did. But they didn't do that so that you would know about it. They didn't do that so you'd see them. Whatever we do, let's don't do it so that people can see us. Now, sometimes we do things and do, people do see us, but that's not your motive. The second thing, let's examine our prayer lives and, and uh, let's think about the, the different ways to pray. Remember, prayer is just spending time talking to God and we can talk to Him about anything, any place, anywhere, anytime. And also, think about this, learn from the pattern because think about a prayer. What if you, what if you sat down to pray tomorrow or today, this afternoon, and you started off, with worship, and you said, Lord, you are you're the heavenly Father, and you're perfect. And then you said, Lord, take care of this, and Lord, do this for them. And Lord, wherever I failed you, I, I confess it, uh, Lord, and protect me. Don't let me get into things that's going to mess up, because you're the greatest. You're the king. You're the power. You're the glory. You could do that. That's a pattern that he gives us. Now, you don't have to follow that pattern perfectly. In fact, he says, just don't do it meaningless repetition like a lot of people do. So be real careful on that. Learn from that. The third thing is this, is let's forgive others so that we can be in fellowship with God and others. That's the key. If we forgive others, we're in fellowship. If we don't, uh, that's sin. And, and let, me, let me remind you that forgiveness is releasing the debt. That's all it is. If someone has hurt you, if so, and, and in your mind, you say, you know, they owe me. They, they should come say they're sorry, or they should come do this. Forgiveness is you release the debt. You say, it's over. I release them from the debt. They don't have to come say they're sorry. I, 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 they don't, I, I've just, I've letting it go. Forgiveness is actually for us, because as long as we don't forgive, we're out of fellowship and we're bitter. But when we let it go, and you could say, well, gosh, if I let it go, they get away with it. Nobody gets away with it. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Just remember that. It says, return, do not return evil with evil, return evil with good. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. We don't have to get anybody back. If somebody hurts us, let it go. God will deal with them. And he knows exactly how and when and where. We don't just let it go. May we be men and women praying, following the pattern that God has given to us, and let us remember to forgive one another so we can be in fellowship with our Heavenly Father.